0: Welcome to Shelter in Place. I'm Alan Combs. And I'm Joey Porch. The theme of today's episode is virtual insanity.
1: Yeah, virtual insanity. We're going to talk today about how a lot of people are having to transition from working in a work environment at at a company to having to work at home, all of the different technology that's involved with doing that, and where do their lives start and end between work and between home life. And on today's podcast, we're going to have Dave Messenger from Topcoder join us. And he's going to talk a lot about what his company is doing through the transition, as well as some of their customers and their a lot of their gig workers uh, that are located all over the world.
0: Let's hunker down. So, Joey, uh, you, I feel like, are probably a little more used to the environment we're in now from working from home and that kind of thing. Because you, you, for a long time, you did that. So um, maybe the question for you is, What's it been like to transition back into working at home when you kind of stopped that finally?
1: Yeah, for 10 plus, uh, well, between 10 and 20 years, I either worked from home or I traveled for work. So I was usually gone two or three days a week, worked from home two or three days a week, every now and then had a full week from home. So I was kind of used to that work life environment and you know some of the things you ov- obviously have to keep in mind are when you're working from home. When does your day start? When does your day end? Uh, try not to blend the two together too much because otherwise you end up working all the time. You know, and start of the year I'd started working here at the firm, and you know I'd kind of enjoyed coming into an office environment and being around people again, which was kind of cool. I'd never really actually done that ever. Um, Ever, And so then having to turn around and, and, you know, transition back to working from home, it hasn't been too bad. Uh, you know, I've got my I've got my setup now to, into into a comfortable place. Um, but now the kids are there all the time. They're doing their work or their school work or uh, doing chores. And, and Christine's at home as well. You know, so it, it is a transition and it is different because we're all home. Uh, we would do that in the summertime, you know, when the kids were home, you know, obviously I was working from home and the kids were there and I have to tell them to be quiet. Uh, but now I have to be quiet when they're doing schoolwork. They need to be quiet whenever oh, I'm on a call. Difference. yeah. So it, you know, now we're all working, we're all using internet bandwidth and it's, uh, yeah, it's just all the time, it seems like.
0: that That is a problem for us. I mean, our kids are small enough that they don't have a lot of online classroom stuff, um, but they do have like once a week, they have a Zoom call with their teacher. But we did have like one day this week where I I was trying to imagine what it must be like for people to negotiate this every day where like I had a Zoom and then I think Morgan was supposed to have a Google Hangout with you to do something for work. And then like both of our kids had Zooms and like we had like a family Zoom and like just like we had multiple computers involved and still it was like still trying to coordinate everybody was like was kind of bananas. I mean, I think one thing you sort of touched on like in terms of creating those boundaries, right? There probably are or particular tips that you could give to people for setting those boundaries? I mean, what, what would those tips be?
1: I would say that the tip is don't get up and go immediately to work, you know, take some time in the morning. And Dave talks a little about this a little bit later too, but take some time in the morning for yourself, have breakfast, get coffee, go for a walk, exercise, read, do whatever things you would, you know, would normally do or what you would, you know, take that time that you would otherwise have commuting uh, and spend some time to do some things for yourself, you know, take a break for lunch, don't work through lunch every day or just eat lunch at your desk every day. Take some time. That gives you a little bit of, of a break. And then at the end of the day, when you're done, you're done. Don't go back and continue to check email or respond to email or continue to do work. I get sometimes there are projects and you have to do that anyway. But just on a regular basis, try to get into a habit of breaking up the time that you're working from the time that you're at home. I think that's that that, that the th- that's the thing that was always important to me, and actually kind of made a little bit happier home life if I wasn't always trying to work.
0: Right, and I think. I mean, I, I think you said this a little bit earlier, and I think Dave touches on it later too. Is that like one of the actual keystones? It sounds like of working from home or working from anywhere or wherever is actually being somewhat generous with yourself that like that you're actually just never going to get the level of productivity you would want if you were in an office. And during this time, it's not even going to be that because one, you're surviving like, right. Just like a pure, pure basic level. But also a lot of times when people work from home, their kids are still going to school or their spouses are still going to school or, or there's some freedom of movement. And now you all have to stay in the same place. And so the, that that expectation just can't be the same and i feel like part of the what I'm beginning to learn uh, from my own experience but also from listening talking to you and dave is that part of working from home is learning how to be a little bit more generous with yourself in terms of your time
1: yeah and just have real patience with each other as well, especially the spouses and even with the kids, because I know I can certainly get frustrated when, you know, you have to ask three times to get one little thing done, but also having patience with your spouse, because I think that that's really important, especially in these times.
0: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's been our experience a little bit. We're looking forward to talking to Dave. It'll be a a good conversation. We're looking forward to hearing about his experience, um, with, uh, with the ways that technology can provide shelter, but also the challenges it brings. So we'll talk to Dave right after the break. SipTequila.com is a curated collection of high-end tequilas that can be shipped directly to your door. From crystal clear Blanco tequilas to older tequilas aged for six years in red wine barrels, SipTequila.com has something for everyone, novices and aficionados alike. Their white glove delivery service gets the bottles to you safely and securely with their very cute lids wherever you are in the United States. When your bottle arrives, follow along with their tasting notes and education for the full agave experience. Shop, ship, and sip with SipTequila.com. Mention that you heard this on our podcast with code SHELTER, S-H-E-L-T-E-R, and you'll get free shipping. SipTequila.com.
1: Welcome back to Shelter in Place. We're here today with Dave Messenger from Top Coder. And um, Dave, good to have you on. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on with us. So first thing I'd like to ask is if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself, what you do, where you're sheltering, and who you're sheltering with.
2: Sure. And uh, thanks for having me, Joey and Alan. Uh, Dave Messenger. I live in West Hartford, Connecticut. Now, you may hear that's not a Connecticut accent. I'm originally from uh, Boston, Massachusetts. So I have, uh, despite not living there for over 20 years, have a bit of an accent. But uh, West Hartford's right in the middle of the state, about halfway between New York and Boston. And I am sheltering with my wife and uh, four children in our labradoodle dog. I am the chief technology officer for topcoder.com, which is a worldwide crowdsourcing platform, about 1.5 million members of data scientists, designers, developers, and uh, QA resources that we put work out and drive units of work to those people uh, in a pretty unique
1: model. And so with four kids at home, I imagine that this is a uh quite an interesting time for everybody to be working from home and no kids going to school. What's that like?
2: Yeah. I mean, I always talk to people, I've worked from home since 2009. So you could say I'm a work from home veteran, but having the kids at home is a lot different. So I think, you know, making sure everyone gives, each other patience is takes a lot and the work the school from home is even hotter. So it's definitely affected how I work, how I change my schedule. It's been I think it's been challenging to say the least. So I can't imagine going through working from home the first time and then also go working from home with children is it's it's, it's hard on everyone right now, I think.
1: Right. You're just having to adjust to that one piece versus having to actually adjust from working from home, which a lot of people are having to do now.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that's probably the biggest thing. When I talk to my clients or other people we talk to in the work world, where they're like, how do you get so much productivity out of your people at home? And I think, you know, even today, six, seven weeks into this, I just say, even as a work-from-home veteran, I think in my team and talking to others, like, are how do you get your team to be so productive working from home all the time? And I tell everyone, just don't be hot on them. I and mean, it's probably even my team that's been working from home for probably 10 years, a lot of us yeah you know, we're probably still only at seventy percent efficiency right now because of because of you know everyone else we're working with first time working from home or having family from home is just difficult on everyone right now
0: I feel like that's a good word because I think that a lot of what people feel right now is sort of a pressure to not only to like produce normally but like to like to be extra productive like there's there's nothing extra to do there's you know you don't have anywhere to go or anything to do, so do you have to be as productive as possible? Um, but it sounds like what you're saying as someone who's worked from home for a long time is that, is that like over productivity is not something to expect during this time or really any time from working at home.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, I would say even now, like if you're used to commuting an hour each way, maybe take that time, you know, I'll put a plug in, listen to the shelter in place podcast for an hour (laughs) in the morning or, or in the evening, right. And, uh, unwind and kind of set that break before you go have your family time like make a phone call. I would try to keep my same routine in some ways to keep that separation of work and working from home and and commuting or what that is or you know if you do have the extra time maybe that's a good time to go get hit the gym or go for a walk or do something else. But, you know, it doesn't mean you have to put it into work.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I I know that when whenever we would onboard new employees and it was their first time working from home, one of the things to always stress was, look, set some boundaries. You don't want to work all the time. Uh, I know a lot of people, especially now working from home, the first thing they're going to do is start working. They don't really take breaks. I know that, you know, I always still have a bad habit of lunches, you know, are very quick. I just eat in the kitchen real quick or go back right back to work or eat at my desk. You know, take some take some of that time and then have a cut off at the end of the day like you normally would, because otherwise you will just end up working all the time when there's no separation of home life and work life since you're always home.
2: Yeah, um, I'm guilty of that. And I, and I do think like even try to give yourself that 10 or 15 minutes of doing something before the transition to I think that also helps to get your mind out of it because, you know, I, I'm sure my kids when I'm, I'm leaving work may see me come downstairs and I, I still have that thing in the back of my mind I'm trying to work on or some discussion that I wasn't happy about. And I'm probably, my face is probably a little red still or, or something like that, but just giving you that 10 or 15 minutes to think of something else, do something else, uh, read an article or, or something along those lines just gives you that kind of mental space to do the
1: switch. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Dave, tell us a little bit more about Coder and what Coder is and what, you know, and how Coder works uh, because it's a little bit different. It's, it's, I mean, you're providing enterprise service, but you're also a gig, you know, part of the gig economy. And you have a ton of people that actually work and deliver for you and for your clients. So, you know, kind of give us a little bit more background on Topcoder, because I think that'll help give us more context as we dive into some of the other discussion. Sure. So Topcoder
2: has been around since 2001. We are a crowdsource community development, crowdsource gig economy, passion economy. The name seems to change. Uh, year over year. But what we do is we put out units of work to our community. The community comes in, completes the unit of work. Um, We have a competition model, which is part of our work, where multiple people work on it. The person that does the best job gets paid, and we set the payment up front. So everybody knows, here's a unit of work, you're going to get paid $2,000 if you win. Second place gets $1,000. We actually try to optimize it so that uh, we have a couple people on it, but not a ton of people so that no one doesn't get paid. What we then try to do is we set the fixed price so everyone can make their own decision. Like maybe you look at that unit of work and say, I can do it in five hours and that's a great rate for you. Maybe it might take you 20 hours and you say, 100 bucks an hour is still good for me. But we don't put, it's a very transparent uh, model that people can work to augment their salaries. And we have people all over the world that work full time at Topcoder as well. Uh, the nice thing is you get a rating so we actually rate everybody using an objective chess rating algorithm which today you know we ran the google code jam for seven years Uh, we've helped place people at all different companies high-tech companies those high-tech companies google facebook yelp airbnb so it's been a great way for people to learn show their skills find new jobs add additional income so for us, you know, we've been at this, as you can imagine being at this for almost twenty years now. When we first started, people looked at us like we were crazy. Like you're gonna give our work to these part-time workers and gig people are like, gonna be all over the world. And you know, now as like cloud came and Uber and people kinda understand the gig economy more, it's much easier to understand for us. But the way, you know, with everything going on right now, it's pretty interesting that we're getting a lot more inbound. Uh, our volume right now on the website is probably, we're up almost 70% from people looking for work as well as people trying to find resources. So I, I am actually pretty excited about the opportunity for Topcoder to hopefully drive a lot more opportunities and work and jo- uh, jobs, hopefully training the people that might be uh, unfortunately facing some dire circumstances
0: with jobs and things of that nature. So when you say unit of work, you mean like unit of coding work?
2: Yeah. So we we put out, it could be anything from develop this service, microservice. It could be design this web page. It also could be maybe non-technical people that want to come in and do QA. So we had like literally take this phone application and walk into Starbucks and make sure you can buy a coffee. You know, you get your coffee paid for, plus you'd get Money for doing that task, or it might be try this video conference chat and talk to your friend for ten minutes, and we'll you get and give us the feedback. So it could be ranging from technical to non-technical. Primarily, most of it is technical design, data uh, data science, development, and then the QA uh, is where we have a lot of where you don't have to have necessarily like a formal education in computer science or design, for that matter.
1: So you said you've actually seen an uptick in, in request for for work as well as a, an uptick in request to to actually do work. So t- tell us a little bit about that, how, you know, from the early days of, you know, COVID-19, and and I know a lot of companies were looking to go remotely. I've talked to some other companies in the business. You know, I, I worked at Aperio, have a lot of friends and colleagues as well out in the ecosystem, and many of them have seen a drop in work because a lot of the companies are either putting projects on hold or if it's the government sector, you know, they're putting lots of big projects on hold as well. What's that, what's that transition look like for, for you?
2: I first of all, you know, obviously prefer none of this COVID stuff would ever happen. Uh, We're still being pretty severely impacted, but I think where we can provide opportunities for people. So for instance, we have a large company talking to us that had to furlough 30,000 people, but Here's the idea is if they could onboard wow. them into a, into top coder, you know, when they have the opportunity, the spare money that they can put it back out to those specific people that they could get additional money when they're, they're working from home. So it gives it a way to kind of hopefully retain, give some additional money on top of their furloughed money. And then hopefully maybe they can hire them back in, in some period of time. But I think like what we're trying to do is provide opportunities where the companies can still connect to these resources, or if they can't connect to the resources and they have mission critical work that needs to be done, how do they tap into resources without, you know, unfortunately, you know, the overhead of hiring full time, sometimes they just don't have the the money or the bandwidth, but if they need something critical done and it's two weeks or three weeks, you know, being able to tap into a resource where we can, give them that access has been, you know, something that they needed done. Um, we've also seen, you know, two examples, I'll tell you. Actually, Joey, you know, uh, Sufi, he just started a new started a new company called wizard.fit. He had sold his old company and, you know, as an entrepreneur, he probably spent too much time in front of the computer, he said, put on some weight, became an avid yoga uh, participant. And, you know, once COVID hit, all his friends that were personal trainers lost their jobs, you know, so he started a company called wizard.fit where we built an iPhone app for him in 30 days through the community where he can get all of his people, all of his trainers, he can get an app where they can now sell classes remotely to their uh, constituents, their customers, very quickly and easily. And we built that in 30 days. Same thing for a doctor in Buffalo that came to us. And I think it was the same time about 30 days, you can see it in the app store now called Ogonomy, where they had sleep apnea he couldn't see his patients. So how does he build an app to kind of interact with his patients and provide, or even new people are calling him that he couldn't meet with, couldn't see. So we built an app for him and that was done in about 35 days. But those are two small entrepreneurs that had some money that, still wanted to get out and serve their customers that we were able to help very quickly, almost immediately. So that's been, you know, I I know we do a lot of enterprise work, but that's been a sense of pride for me too, to see us help those small guys.
1: No, that's, those are pretty amazing stories. And to be able to make that transition and transition so quickly, you couldn't go out to just any, any supplier and get an iPhone app created and turned around in 30 days. So that's pretty amazing. Plus that's, that's, that sounds like a really great opportunity for the community as well. How have you seen this impact, um, the top coder community? Cause I know it's well over a million members worldwide. I mean, in pretty much every, every country that can do business with, um, can do business with us. So what, what has that impact been? And have you heard many stories from, from members and how this has impacted uh, their families as well?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, You know, as you mentioned, we've got people basically in every country from, you know, and I think each country's had differing levels, but, you know, whether it's been some members in Italy or India, you know, they're really in lockdown in some states in India now. Greece, China. So I think for the knock on wood, we have most of our members, uh, we have heard of a few cases with people that have had corona, that have gotten through it. Uh, So it's been interesting, you know, one of the things... We're investigating now is starting sort of a, a, a way for us and members to kind of contribute to a fund where we could help members that might be in need of additional money. You know, I think one of the downsides for the gig economy is, you know, we really have no mechanism to help provide worldwide insurance or even insurance here in the U.S., uh, that's something we'd love to talk to uh, companies that would help us kind of provide some sort of insurance to these workers. And I think that's probably the biggest problem of the gig economy in general is just, you know, we call it the health and wealth problem. Is how do you how do you do that? Provide those types of services to people, which I hopefully in the long term some will solve.
1: I was going to say, are there any any uh, gig suppliers out there like Uber, anyone that does do healthcare at this point?
2: Not that I know of. Um, we try to talk. We talk. We have been talking to a large one about trying to come up with a solution. For us, it'd be great if we could come up with a worldwide solution. I don't know if that's probably possible, but at least even in the U.S., if we could come up with a U.S.-based solution, that would be fantastic.
0: That seems like the biggest vulnerability to folks who who engage in that economy. There's a lot of advantages in terms of some flexibility and some ability to 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 do a lot, of variety of things, but but to be. To be vulnerable in that you have to, you're sort of responsible for some of those safety net sort of things for yourself.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, and unfortunately, you see that come down to the country you live in too. Depending on the country you're in, you might have a a lot more capabilities uh, or a lot more support. So yeah, it's, it's something we think about all the time.
0: So you all are talking to sort of a, a like at least in the U.S. sort of to a private insurance company. Do you feel like from your perspective that the solution to that is 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 better done in a private way or or like a public way like a like a universal healthcare sort of thing or do you even have an opinion on that
2: I would say my opinion is I I think there's got to be some kind of universal healthcare I don't think that may not represent the opinions of my employer but Sure um, sure
0: yeah yeah, yeah my, that's fair maybe, just your opinion
2: yeah 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 my opinion I think there should probably be some kind of universal employer I also think there's got to be some way from a private standpoint that you know there's got to be some way to make it work too that's fair and equitable to everybody as well
0: sure we, we're talking about technology and we're talking about um we've talked about sort of alluded to some ways that it's been helpful some ways that it can be not as helpful like in what ways in your mind has technology itself helped provide shelter during this time
2: yeah so i think technologies help provide shelter i think like what we're doing now with zoom like being able to see the grandparents, being able to see friends, be able to have a, a virtual birthday party. You know, I think just the schooling, I can't imagine what we would have done for schooling without Google Classroom or, or having the kids be able to do something online and still have that connection with their classmates. I think that's been, been really important. Kind of to our earlier statement too, though, I do wonder sometimes if people are on Zoom all day for work and then they go on zoom to have a happy hour with their friends or meet with their families, like using the same tool as I do the same break between work and home life. That's one thing I always think about.
0: I think it's a great point because I don't know if you saw, there was an article in the New York times today too, about the fact that um, there, there's a great benefit in being able to do zoom, but also there's this sort of overwhelming exhaustion that happens with it because you're missing certain facial expressions from people like sort of small little things in people's faces that you can only see when you're in person that sort of get smoothed out online or even people are, you know, say your internet messes up and your audio and your video is not connecting. It, it messes up all the sensors in your brain. And so you don't, you're not able to actually like effectively engage people. And the, and it, I mean, so like you said, not only are you using your work tool for your fun tool, but also, you are exhausted by it. Like it's exhausting to use it. And so we've had, like, we'll have, you know, for the church, we'll have like, oh, let's have a story time with a children's person over Zoom. And some people are like, you know what, I just can't do anymore. Like, I, I just can't. My kids have been on Zoom all day. I've been on Zoom all day. I don't want to open up a Zoom window. I think that's a, yeah. a, a big challenge for people. I think you're right.
1: That's interesting, though. I mean, when, you know, when we work together, Dave, and I'm sure you're still doing it now, it's Google Hangouts all day, every day. I mean, but, but that is a good thing. It's better than just a phone call. I mean, maybe I got really, really tired. I got to the point where I didn't want to have a phone call because I just hate being on the phone. But at least with a hangout, you can see the person, you can see a reaction. And most of the time people do turn on their video. Um, But, but yeah, that, that's, that's a lot better. But yeah, now doing it all day. Plus then having to do it for other things that I could definitely see where that would cause some sort of technology burnout.
0: Well, And you guys are probably a little more accultur- like acculturated to it, right? Like you've done it for so long that it's not as disorienting where for like a lot of us where that, where we're just doing this for the first time, even the fact that no one's ever looking you in the eye when you talk on zoom or on Google hangout, right? Like like right now you and I can see each other and look at each other in the face, but, but you know, Dave's looking at his camera. I'm looking at my camera. We're all looking at our cameras on zoom and so there's that like, well, why yeah. are not you look at, why aren't you looking at me? <laughs> you know? Um, hmm. and, and Never and,
1: thought about it that way.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 that struck me in the, um, in the, the, New York times article was like, yeah, no, nobody's ever. Cause that, cause sometimes when I'm, when I'm talking to people on zoom, I, I will be aware of that. I'll say like, Gosh, I'm not really looking at anybody right now because you 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 are concerned about how you look, you know, at least initially, right? I think of every time
1: nobody cares anymore. <laughs> right. That's what I'm
0: saying, right? Like no one really cares what you're wearing, right? Like people on television are like not wearing pants and like getting caught not wearing pants so the kids have run in the room or whatever. But at first you're just like looking at yourself like, oh gosh, I look like pale. I, you know, like whatever, I need to shave or you know, you know, whatever that is. Every now and then, I will look at my camera on my computer because I'm like, I need to look like I'm looking at people, not at myself. But I think that's a, like I guess maybe maybe for y'all, that's not as disorienting because you've been doing it for so long. Your brains and your your life together has adjusted. Whereas I think for a lot of people, it's it's there's this mental toll that it takes just like trying to to look for the cues that that pe- that people have when you're in person with each other.
2: Yeah. I agree. I mean, it's been interesting. Like that article is a bunch of people talking about, about how also even the culture where, you know, some of the podcasts I enjoy listening to on the technical side. And I think they said GitHub now is a, you have to have video on or have an excuse why you don't have video on and like what that pressure that does to people and how people find it's comforting and you know, we kind of always have been, you know, hey, have your video on as much as you can. We've never kind of mandated it, or I said, made people explain why they didn't have their video on. And most people do. But I think, you know, kind of like Joey, I guess I'm just used to it now, but listening to it now, I kind of make sense hearing all these complaints and issues. It makes me wonder and rethink some of the things that I've kind of taken for granted or for the last few years.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that there are some places who are forcing people to have video on because I think that that was in other articles I've read in terms of trying to like figure out how to help your like staff engage and whatever, one of the major recommendations have been from like a lot of like, like either on the technical side or like the sort of psychological side is like give people like a little bit of freedom about whether or not they're ready to be on video that day. Um, Mm -hmm. And that makes sense because of the fact that it takes us at a toll to be on camera all the time. So it's interesting that some places would say like, you have no choice, you have to be on camera
1: yeah, for some people now it's a bandwidth issue because sure. it's not just them at home; it's their their four kids that also are yeah. streaming something on their tablet, plus their spouse. And like, if it, if it's my kids, they've got two de- two devices that are connected or streaming. <laughs> well, right,
0: time. and and that's that's like I, that comes back a lot in terms of like a, like, for lack of a better sense, like a justice question, right? Is like when we're working at home and somebody says, "Well, I don't have the internet that can support this level of." of technology. So like zoom, you know, your upload has to be, you know, my, 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 I have decent internet, but my upload probably doesn't get more than like maybe six or something. And so some days that's better than others. And some people, you know, some people in Southwest Virginia are still rock DSL, you know, and yeah. zoom. So you can't do zoom on DSL internet. You just can't. And is it, is it just for a workplace to say to somebody, you need to get better internet on your own money or if you're going to mandate that, does the workplace have to, you know, invest in that some way? Now, if, you know, if some of that probably depends on the the kind of work you're in. Whereas for y'all or, you know, in, at least in terms of top coder, right. The expectation is people are, are, because it's a gig job that, you know, their expectation is that they have, they're funding their own sort of structure and infrastructure. And then they're just doing the work. Whereas like, in a church or in a law firm or wherever, you know, if you're asking people to do certain things, what, what level of expectation do you have that they have those things on their own?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the first things we checked. All of our systems were go. We were, we were cloud-based to start with the only, the only, question we had was with our phone system going remote. And luckily, Comcast Business does have an app that works on desktop and phone for VoIP. So that we had to install and get everyone right. trained on. But then the second big question was, okay, well, how's your internet? And luckily, everyone that works here does have pretty good, reliable internet, not always enough for video, but at least enough to access email and Salesforce and all the tools that they use to get their job done. That, that's not an issue for us here. Dave, in terms of um, your customers, I imagine most of them uh, or a lot of them would pro- were probably in a situation where they worked from an office environment. Have you heard any, uh, any, you know, any struggles or any pains from, from them in terms of going remote?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, been a bit, big difficulty. I mean, even the number of companies that didn't realize how much of their IP and productivity were in desktop devices still. That as, soon as, you, as soon as you go home, whoa, I just lost 40% of my productivity. I can't get these things And I think the other big issue that people, you know, I know people talk somewhat about, but the security aspects, you know, hacking is at an all-time high right now, which is is pretty disgusting in a lot of ways. I, I think one of the big food banks just got hacked. And, you know, like, gosh, but, you know, that's just, talk about a bad person that, um but, you know, even one of our major competitors about pairing company, you know, they got basically locked down. A 200,000 person company got a ransomware attack. You know, that's because people had to rush to get home and get machines going, get people at home. And do people know how to use a VPN? Do people know how to use a firewall right now? It's kind of, that's a big issue for these companies.
0: What do you make of all the concerns people have about security on zoom? Cause that's, that's all I, you know, all I ever hear is like, there's security problems with Zoom, and then like some school systems have even, you know, told their teachers they can't use Zoom because of the security issues, and so they've had to move over to another platform like Webex or something like that.
2: Yeah, you know, when you use Zoom, I think was, I was just reading an article by Benedict Evans, a famous VC guy. He said when you use Zoom, you think it's another application. Then go try to use another video conference, and you realize how much innovation and how much easier and better Ux it is. I think because of that it had to take some assumptions, right? To make it really easy for people to share and make it really easy for people to get into a meeting. Right. They defaulted a lot of things. And I think that's the power. Once you default something, no one ever changes it. So now they had to go back and change like adding passwords, making it making the host approve sharing or screen sharing. And so I think to me, I think it's probably first of all, I don't think zoom is doing anything malicious. Right. Uh, which I know, like people are like, oh, they're sending all your data to Facebook. They're like, well, they made it really easy for people to log in Facebook, and they probably made some mistake, and it wasn't their intention to send all that data to Facebook. Is my opinion.
0: Well, and I mean, I, I mean, I, my, my contention, like, whenever you use anything free on the internet, is if you're not paying for it, you're the product, right? Yeah. So, like, if you want Facebook to be used for free, then you're the product. If you, uh, I mean, you can use Zoom up to 40 minutes without paying for it, you're the product. Then, I mean, that's, I mean, that's how that works. Is For, you know, we have this, like one of our challenges I think of the internet is we just have sort of a, an expectation everything doesn't cost anything, you know? And when you do that to make it like profitable, people find out other ways. And most of the time it's sending your data around and doing that kind of thing. So I think, you know, that those are sort of two competing challenges. There's like, I want everything to be free. I also, also, you know, don't ever want anything that I do ever shared with anybody for any reason.
2: Yeah. And I can't remember what the stat is, but I think Zoom went from like 80 million users to almost 400 million users in a week.
0: Sure. Yeah, I, I have no doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, and, and again, like, you know, we, we said, like in terms of shelter, like, thank God that it's there. What would we have done 20 years ago if we, if this had happened? I mean, it would have, you know, it's messed up enough stuff as it is, but what would we have done otherwise? I mean, there's, there's definitely like a, a really big shadow to this where you can work all the time and, you know, as you've sort of, you guys have sort of alluded to, if you don't figure out how to set up a routine, like you, and and I've experienced that, like this first eight weeks of being home, I I feel like I've worked more now than I do when I'm have to go to my office, because there's no boundaries, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. I'm working, and my kids are coming in, and I'm trying, you know, there's just no, there's no barriers there. And so by the time the day is over, I'm done, you know, And, and I haven't even, I have not figured out how to like, effectively establish those barriers at this point y'all have been doing it long enough you know but i think it's it's just easy not to not to do that
1: a 320 million user increase that's that's insane and i imagine it's all either running on google or running on amazon as the back end so i'm sure that they're 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 really happy about zoom's usage as well
2: Sure, i, I think they're doing 2.6 terabytes of data a day something like that i think wow. said.
1: So I wanted to ask another question because I know that this is something that we've looked at here at the firm, but, um, with, with everyone going and working remotely now, what do you think, uh, or how do you feel that companies are going to look at their employees, how they have offices in the future and allowing their employees to work remotely and what that's going to look like or how that might change in the future?
2: Yeah. I think the acronym I always see is a WFH work from home i think that's going to become wfa work from anywhere quicker than quicker than you want especially for young people like why do i have to work from home if i can do all this here why can't i go you know go to uh the beach one day go to the ski mountain the next day and i think that's going to be more prevalent and so i actually think in a corporation you know hr's kind of always been looked at as sort of a cost center and i think that's going to be much more of a more pre- more important role in an organization because how do you empower the people that work from home and give the flexible schedule still? How do you retain that talent? What kind of policies do you have to set up for those people? You know, I think that's going to be an, an interesting kind of the security and, and HR type pieces. And I, I just I, I think people will go back to the office at some point just because, as you see, it's hard to work from home with the kids and everything else. But I think there'll be a big chunk of people that want to save the commuting hours or want to have the flexibility to go live with a family for a couple of weeks and then go back to the house or go support an elderly parent or, you know, be able to move around when needed.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And for us, I mean, just looking, we're a 25 person company here and for us, it, it's really shown us that, wait, we don't have to necessarily expand the office and get more space. If we want to have more people, we could have a flexible work schedule where a couple of people are in the office one day and others are working remote, maybe they swap, um, things like that. So, you know, really looking at how much office space we actually need doesn't necessarily have to match up with the number of employees that we have.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, you know, what you're describing in terms of like, especially younger people, like that's something we run into at the church is like we were trying to hire at one point somebody to sort of do sort of some of our high level technology stuff. And so we interviewed people for it and figured out we were looking at the wrong thing because. Uh, the people we were interviewing who had the, the talent that d- to do a lot of the kind of things that I think you've been describing had zero interest in being attached to the church. Right? And, and not, not because it was a church, but because in our mind we thought, well, like if we offer a part-time gig and say you know 20 hours a week is what we're asking for and they can do whatever else they want on the side, that would be great because it would be stable income. But for those folks, the the flexibility to go where they wanted to overruled their interest in the job. Yeah
1: yeah contracting yeah. out the the units of work yeah
0: and it and it saved yeah. us money because we weren't hiring a staff member i mean like we we should have done that all along, but i mean, it was just you know in the church, especially like like Nothing moves slower than the church.
1: I wouldn't say that. I've seen a lot of other <laughs> big companies too. That, <laughs>
0: yeah, it's true. It's fair enough, fair enough. But when it comes to something like this, like we were like, oh, it turns out we were looking for the wrong thing. We, and we didn't even know because we didn't know enough about it. You know, it was it was a learning for us. And so we had to start over again and just like, okay, we need to contract this part out and then we need to hire somebody else to do something different. And it was, but it was, it was a huge learning for us. Oh, Sure. One question we always ask Dave from our guests is where are you personally finding shelter? so you can and you can answer that as literally or as philosophically as you want to, but where are you yourself personally finding shelter during this time?
2: Sure, so I think I'm finding shelter, you know, with my family, I think is the most important part. You know, in, in some ways it's been uh, sure if you ask my family, everyone's going stir crazy once out of the house, but in other ways it's been somewhat refreshing too, like number of board games, card games, uh, time we spent outside or going for a hike or a bike ride. It's probably way up compared to what we've done in the past, which is, and we do family Zooms every Saturday. We have a church thing we do on Zoom on Sundays. For me, it's been really good to kind of get that opportunity to spend a lot of time with the family. Um, which has been, which has been great. So I think to me, it's, I think the other pieces have made me have more Zooms with like people I haven't talked to in much to my college buddies. Uh, So it's been great to kind of reconnect and spend more time with people.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. I think a lot of people are probably in that situation now. It's definitely good to have time with the family. So one other question we also ask is for every guest to highlight a nonprofit that's near and dear to their hearts.
2: Sure. Uh, the nonprofit I'd like to highlight is TogetherWeRise.org. So they have—they are a nonprofit that helps support children in foster care. So we actually did an event at work. We—we we built uh, superhero boxes that got mailed out to people. But they do a lot of cool kind of corporate events and other events to help support uh, children in foster care. I myself have uh, had foster care children in my house. We've adopted three. It was definitely a uh, very personal to
1: myself. That's great. And uh, if, if anyone wants to donate, they can go to togetherwerise.org dot org, and uh, there's a donate button right there on the, on the landing page.
0: Okay, Dave. So we've asked you all of our other questions, but we have one final question we ask of all of our guests. And that is uh, the addition to our shelter and playlist that people can find on Spotify. So we want to know a song that signifies the shelter that you are finding right now.
2: Well, uh, I probably mostly listen to children's songs for the young kids at home. <laughs> um I don't think we'll add that. We won't we, we won't pass those earworms onto the uh people subscribing. No to Baby ear. Shark. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: um
2: I would say, you know, one thing is we've been listening to a bunch of Bob Molly too. So the kids like little nice. reggae, so three little birds, like I kind of like that. Everything's yes. going to be
1: all right message.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a good that's a good one. That's
1: a great song. Love that.
0: Dave, that's a great addition. Thanks for sharing that. If you want to share your shelter and playlist songs with us, you can find us on our website at soulgroupmedia.com, S-O-U-L-G-R-O-U-P-M-E-D-I-A.com, or you can find us on social media to share your songs with us. We will add them to the playlist if you send them to us. Uh, Dave, thanks for being on the pod today, and we hope that you and your family continue to shelter well.
1: Yes, thank you, Dave. Really appreciate your time. Good to see you again. Yeah, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: Well, friends, we've come to the time of the podcast where we offer our shelter and playlist recommendations. And so today, uh, Joey, what is your shelter and playlist song for today?
1: My song for today is What's On Your Mind by Information Society. And so it may not sound uh, too familiar, but it's the song that uh, goes pure energy. It's got Spock even uh, doing a little cameo (laughs) in it. But I think it's a good song. It's a really upbeat song, but uh, really tell me what's on your mind. What's going on? I think we should all be a little bit kinder to everybody and have have more patience like we talked about, but really kind of dig in and what's going on with each person. So that's my song for today. What's on your mind by Information Society.
0: All right, it's my turn. Uh, my song is actually a new song. Well, a lot of these songs have been songs that have been around for a while, but um, mine is a, a newer song that just recently came out by the Aquabats, which is one of my favorite bands. Um, but they have a... And I'm pretty sure they wrote this song before all this happened. So I think like it sort of just ended up being like a, a song that fit the time better than they expected to. But they have a song uh, that's going to come out on their new album that comes out in June called Pajamazon. Uh, so the, the, that's actually P-A-G-A- P-A-J-A-M-A-Z-O-N. So and the the way the song goes is put my pajamas on. I turn on Amazon. Ain't never gonna go outside. Go outside again with a point pointing click. I can order all of it. Ain't never gonna go outside. Go outside again. I mean,
1: I... it <laughs> sounds like it was written for this. That's time. What I'm saying. I mean,
0: I feel like they could have just written it yesterday, and I don't think they did. I think they were more just offering sort of commentary on their ability to just stay home all the time, and now it's sort of ter- it's taken this this turn. You know, like it's that, true life. Yeah, it's actually. I mean. uh, uh It's funny, so what they did for the music video for it was they had people put on their pajamas and just send them um, videos of them dancing to the song, and so they they had to make a music video where all the the members of the band are at different places you know, playing songs, and and people are are dancing and and participating to it. So anyways, it's a great song for the time. It's a good song anyways, um, but it's just funny that I, I really think if their album's coming out in June, they surely wrote this song months ago. You know, and it was more just a, a thought about what's going on. And instead now it's sort of like turned into real life <laughs> in certain ways. That's awesome. Um, but anyway, so yeah. So check out the Aquabats pajamas on. Uh, that's a good one. So you can check all those out on our sh- Spotify Shelter and Playlist. We hope you join us next time. Shelter in Place is an original podcast of Soul Group Media. It's produced by Joey Porch of Liquor Sickle Productions. The theme song was written and performed by Joey and Zella Porch. If you would like to find out more about the podcast and Soul Group Media, you can visit our website, soulgroupmedia.com, that's S-O-U-L-G-R-O-U-P-M-E-D-I-A.com, or find us on social media. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review. It helps others to find the podcast and hunker down with us.